Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hi, John. You know how people say it's hard to get in the Christmas spirit in Miami? No. <laughs> because it's so warm here. No, last night it was actually very cold. Oh, oh yeah, it was like 58. Yes. We're, we're going to really get into the Christmas spirit by having some guests on that live in a very cold place. Did you know that at 3,588 square miles, Kodiak Island is the second largest island in the United States, second only to the main island of Hawaii? All three of our guests have brought their passion, love of community, and entrepreneurial spirit to, the, to this wild and wonderful corner of the country. I did know that, actually. You knew how big that island was? Well, I knew it was the second largest because I watched the, um, that show. What show? On History Channel about the Alaskan people. That live in the wild? They, yes, and they live off the land, and it's really cool. <laughs> They're very interesting. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is the owner, founder, and brewmaster of Kodiak Island Brewing and Still. After brewing his first batch of beer with a friend in Crested Butte, Colorado, our next guest started to dream of opening a brewery. Years of training and support from his wife, friends, and other brewers helped him to realize that dream in 2003. He opened the first craft beer brewery on the beautiful Alaskan island and watched it grow and prosper. But business has been anything but usual since the pandemic. He recently added distiller to his resume and has created his own line of spirits to his brewery's offerings. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Ben Milstein. Thank you very much for joining us today actually this morning for you so <laughs> yeah you bet so uh where did you at, where did you grow up at um well i was i was born in california when my parents were in uh grad school but uh i lived in delaware for the first 10 years of my life and oh, wow. then philly for a couple of years oh, philly. oh, 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 oh. man did you see i got, I got yeah, the sixer shirt I, on I did you notice that Oh, right, no. I know I liked yeah, you, Ben. I'm a lifelong <laughs> addict of sandwiches. Oh, nice. yeah. And, all right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> from that time yeah. in Philly. Uh huh. I went to high school and college in California. Oh, nice. Oh. So, when did you move to Kodiak? Um, uh, well, I was uh, kind of nomadic in, in the years after college in the, my 20s and uh, doing a lot of seasonal work all over the West and uh, eventually came up to Alaska and um, spent a couple of years um, uh, doing odd jobs and uh, training sled dogs. And then my wife, who we were not married yet, but she got a job offer in Kodiak that came with the potential to repay her student loans. And uh, so we moved to Kodiak in 94. And by the time that commitment was up, we didn't have a place we'd rather be. So we never left. Nice. Nice. So do you mind giving us kind of a picturesque of of what Kodiak is like for those out there? Well, I remember uh, telling some friends of mine in Homer that uh, we were thinking about moving to Kodiak and somebody gave me a National Geographic that had just come out and um, and it it had a picture of Kodiak on the front and, you, and there were snow covered mountains, snow capped mountains everywhere. And I thought, oh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> could live there. Um, you know, a lot of people refer to Kodiak as the rock, but right. it, it's not just a rock in the middle of the ocean. It, it is a beautiful island. It's uh, second in size in america only to the big island of hawaii wow and it's uh you know only it's 90 percent um wilderness right and so when i first moved here and people would ask how do you like being so isolated i would say well you know isolated is uh by definition just being far away from what you want to be near right exactly you, if you like wilderness and ocean and mountains, you know, 
you're in the middle of the world right here. Right, so, you're not isolated. <laughs> right. Exactly. If you if you really like malls, then you're going to be isolated here. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, what was like getting into the beer side of things? Yeah. When was your first exposure to craft beer? You think? Um. Well, I uh, I was a kind of kid who loved beer. All right. I just always loved it. Um. I uh even that uh, I collected cans and signs and mirrors and everything when i was a kid but um but that wasn't craft beer that was just whatever (laughs) right at the time yeah yeah but i think some people have a sweet tooth and some people have a beer tooth and i had the beer tooth (laughs) and um and uh but but i uh i i guess i got into craft beer in college and um drinking sierra nevada and anchor steam and yep uh, red tail ale and yep. um, in uh, let's see, Red Hook and uh, uh, Henry Weinhardt's Dark. If I couldn't afford anything better, and um, you know, so and then there was a there was a brewery in Santa Cruz at that time. Just one um, in uh, in the late eighties right. uh, to begin with, and then another one came on the time i was living there and uh so we used to hang out at the brewery nice um nice go for a bike ride hell yeah get a burrito (laughs) (laughs) nice Uh, sign me up yeah exactly yeah um but you know i was just casual at that point somebody taught me to homebrew when i lived in crested butte colorado a friend and i um and uh and then he went on to start a brewery there. And so uh, I got to, you know, help bottle now and then or something like that. And um, But it still wasn't, you know, in my mind to do that. Uh, then I was in a homebrewers club in Homer where I learned a lot and learned how to do all grain. And uh, some of those guys went on to start breweries here in Alaska. Wow. And so that was another kind of little thing in my mind to show that this can be done right um, Sh- uh, ben and, shout out your friend's name in crested butte who who you brewed with that first time uh cs Derek. Okay. um he is or at least last time i went down to costa rica he was the head brewer at um costa rica brewing company in uh san jose oh wow mm, cool okay yeah um and so he's been he's been brewing his whole life essentially now uh different places in in central america mostly wow that's awesome um, what was the first batch of beer oh, like homebrew that you made i don't remember that was it was it drinkable <laughs> that's a better uh, question yeah, yeah i don't think we had any problems drinking it yeah <laughs> nice um, nice yeah and then my friends in homer um started homer brewing company and then one of them started the first brew pub in anchorage um and went on to start other breweries and meteries and still works in the business and um uh yeah so well anyway so the i guess what happened is i moved to kodiak and so i would still be involved like help them out at the beer festivals and stuff like that but um there was no brewery in kodiak and once we decided to stay in kodiak i i kind of felt like i was l- looking for some way to be part of the to to make a unique contribution to the community and i i felt like if nobody else was going to start a brewery then maybe i should do that that's awesome so i mean the organization in homer is that the q and q brewers guild that you were talking about yeah yeah nice nice and they were that's do you think that's really where you kind of refined your chops and brewing with those guys up there well i would say i just learned how to brew i i don't think i was at the quite at the stage of refining at that point. <laughs> um, you know uh yeah that was early um but you know i kept working on it right and of course when i when i thought about starting a brewery i i uh was you know reading even more intentionally and 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 brewing uh and you know continuing to do homebrew all grain uh but but uh, keeping more notes and, trying, you know, right. a, a little bit right. more at a serious level. Right, right. So 
Did you think Kodiak would would be the perfect spot to open a brewery? I mean, obviously, since it was lacking that one. No, I I thought it would be it would be the perfect place to live, and um and <laughs> and we could use a brewery. Um, uh, and so since it's a it's a pretty unique place because it's uh you know there's about fourteen thousand people here, so it's right. not tiny, right? Um, but it is pretty remote, um, and. So the economy, you know, there's no highway. You know, you can oh. be in a place like Cresta Butte where the town is only is, you know, whatever, a thousand people. Right. But there is a road. And right. so you have people coming and going all the time. You have an effective uh, con- consumer population, Correct. if you will, that, that is significant. Mm-hmm. And Kodiak is a little bit uh you know, it's it's just not like that. So writing a business plan was kind of difficult because you don't um, you, you just don't have the same opportunities um, in a way. But, you know, if you pay attention to what you do have and, and what you need, then sometimes you get what you want, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So so being that it, that it is a, a remote island, and did I mean, how did you go about getting the brewing equipment out there, shipping it all in? I mean, was that kind of a, um, a arduous process? Uh, I guess. I mean, it, yeah, com- compared to being in downtown Seattle or something, right, it's pretty arduous. You know, I yeah. I found a used brewing system in St. Louis. Nice. I uh, spent a couple months kind of planning a trip down there and lined up a couple of container vans and mapped out on graph paper uh, how the equipment could fit in the vans. And I rented a forklift and a friend and I went down there and spent a week packing it all up. I wow. bought, you know, a bunch of kegs and a bunch of grain and, and had it all shipped to this warehouse where the gear was in storage. And, you know, I mean, it was an ordeal. It cost a lot less to ship back in the early nineties than yes. it does now. Yeah. It, it would be just, unbelievable exorbitant yep absolutely yeah um but you know i mean i was younger then i had a lot of energy (laughs) (laughs) i mean i still have a fair amount of energy yeah what um, didn't you source something from chicago to uh um well the the brewery itself came from chicago but it was purchased used by somebody who wanted to open a brewery in st louis but before they got to the build out Mm -hmm. um uh, another brew pub said, "Hey, look, we're we're about ready to retire. Why don't you just buy us out, uh, and then you've got a turnkey operation?" Nice. And so they did that. Okay. And the brew and the equipment sat in storage, gathering dust. Uh, um, but it was a it's a nice system, and that still that equipment is still um, in service. And you know, I've added to it, of course, but um, it was a good system. What, what size system do you have? Ten barrel. Nice. How many? How many fermenters and uh... two ten barrel fermenters, four twenty barrel fermenters, and one thirty barrel fermenter. Oh wow! Triple batch in there. Okay. Okay. Nice. Okay. I was about to ask how much volume you're doing. So you you think you're doing mm-hmm. around about five hundred barrels now? You think? Or maybe a little less than that maybe four something like that so tell us about which is go ahead go ahead oh i was just gonna say and that's kind of where the motivation to start the distillery came in yeah we were gonna get to that i mean but before we dive into the spirits like tell us about your beers like snowshoe session ipa and and spruce tip wheat wine i mean they those seem to be the favorites with the customers but like you kind of run the gamut on on what you brew or like what actually our flagship beer is a steam beer Nice. Um, so lager yeast at ale temperatures, you know, otherwise similar to a pale ale. Um, uh, we have a Scottish ale, so that kind of fills the amber spectrum. We have an American style brown. Um, Ooh, nice. Uh, that's that's popular and nice. The, um, we make some sours. Um, we make, uh, yeah, barley wine. Um uh, our one of our most popular beers is called Termination Point, which is named after a local um, point and forest, and it's a spruce tip IPA um, that I think was this was uh, a lot of the spruce tips in Alaska. It was a common ingredient originally um, a, from Captain Cook, 
you know, to ward off scurvy. And yes. um, so beers have been made in Alaska with spruce tips for a long time. Um, most of them were low hop beers because they were looking to highlight the flavor of the spruce tip, which yes. makes a lot of sense. But I started thinking that that spruce tips might really complement hops yes. as well. And so um, we made the spruce tip IPA very popular. And now a lot of breweries around Alaska are making spruce tip IPA. Nice. How, how I mean, is it easy to get the spruce tips? Because I would imagine that's what, a, like a springtime beer for the new yeah, growth? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you pick this springtime growth. There's about a month of time where you can go out and get it. We We just buy it. And people who are looking for a little extra cash go out and pick spruce tips. And nice. we get a few hundred pounds, enough for the year. And um, for a while, we just may, would make a batch in the spring, but it got so popular, we, you know, bought an extra freezer and, <laughs> nice. and uh, you know, and try to keep it on all year round. I'm going to have to reach out to you because I've been wanting to make a spruce tip beer for about 10 years. You know what I mean? Ben. Phineas. It was Phineas a sl- was Phineas a sled dog by any chance? No, no, he's oh, okay. a German Shepherd. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no you know, uh, I had a sled dog for a long time. She was great. They're yeah, they're a lot of fun. But uh, tough pets, you know, they do like to kill stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and you got to work them. You got to work them too. They got a lot. You got to pay your neighbors off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so actually, so now we can dive into the spirits. Like what, what motivated you to start producing spirits? Um, well, it was uh, financial. I mean, the, we, in, in Kodiak, it was even, even pre-COVID. You know, COVID has been a tough, tough time for everybody. Um, and I don't think the economy has recovered quite. Um, from that and and I don't think it it ever will in a way um, uh, the pre-COVID economy will probably never come back and and I don't think we know quite yet what the post-COVID economy will look like right um, and so that's that's all uh, up in the air in a way um, but in Kodiak the last few even even for a couple of years before that we've we had Kodiak's economy is, um, uh, I would, you know, largely fisheries oriented. Right. And we've had some kind of, uh, you know, state and federal disasters declared because of inconsistencies in the fisheries. Oh, wow. Um, in the last several years. And so that has kind of taken the wind out of the sails of our economy to some extent. Mm-hmm. And then Alaska in general has um, been having some economic difficulties in the last 10 years or so. And I think that that's um, also affected Kodiak. There's a lot less, um, there's just a lot less spending in the state than there used to be. And, and I, um, and so I I think that's all really affected the brewery as well. I think you can see it reflected in the numbers. And um, so so I was thinking, well, we're not getting the traffic, the customer traffic that that we did five years ago. So, so what what can we do to, um, you know, interest people in coming in? Of course, not everybody likes beer, right? And so, if you can diversify what you have, get another market. And um, a brewery already has a lot of the hardware and a lot of the expertise that you need for a distillery not that it's easy but i can't think of a a business that you could add to a brewery quite as um conveniently as a distillery as a distillery right um so so and then um i happened to be lucky and have a friend who was upgrading his still um had built a small still to start with and was upgrading to a bigger commercial still and so he sold me his old one and taught me how to use it so oh wow that's awesome (laughs) i was i was very lucky in that regard how many how many different spirits do you make right now just vodka gin and whiskey and then did i read that uh you actually use kelp in your gin? Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, you, you know, there's um, 
Jin is mostly Juniper character, but then there's a lot of supporting botanicals Correct. beneath that at different um, um, proportions. Right. And uh, so kelp is not something you want to be like a dominant flavor, but it is similar to other botanicals that are in there that, uh, you know, are less for flavor and more for body and mouthfeel okay. and um, and kind of tying other ingredients together. And so, you know, I don't think you you drink our gin and you know, think of the inner title zone right away. But, um, <laughs> right. Uh, I got you. But, it, but it's in there and it's, a, it's, it's nice. And people, people love to have um, a local ingredient. And we have some other ingredients in the gin that are a little bit off the beaten path. But, um, you know, my intent with the gin was to make something that was recognizably gin, not too bizarre. Right. Right. Um, but unique nonetheless and uh and people have been very happy with it so i and and so am i so ben do you, do you all make cocktails in there do you have like bartenders making cocktails or they just drink the gin they just taste it how, how does it work we we have um <clears throat> a ready to drink cocktail we make with the gin called okay. bees knees RTDs. it's a yeah. you know a fruit a fruit based gin cocktail nice. um and then we have you know we have tonic we mm-hmm. have and we we can make gin and tonics mm-hmm. and uh you know so we we're we do have cocktails uh, pretty limited mm-hmm. you know but we have grapefruit juice a lot of people like the greyhounds you know just vodka and grapefruit juice right. and we you know we make bloody marys and nice. um we make a fresh ginger ale here we've always done that oh, cool. and uh and so we've got um what I call the Kodiak mule. No one wants to drink a Moscow mule. Anymore, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> You're too close. Uh, so <laughs> we have the Kodiak mule and, you know, various things. Are you, are you using any other local ingredients like that in any of the other spirits? Um, <clears throat> let's see. We use, we make a goza with kelp. Ooh, really? Um, really? So that's, yeah, that's really nice. Um, I don't have it on tap right now, but that's a favorite. Um, and, uh, how, how are you adding that, uh, kelp? Is that obviously like in the secondary? No, we, we just do it in the kettle. Really? Yep. Wow. Well, big, you know, big hop sacks. Right. Of course. And you're driving all the salinity basically from the kelp. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm, so is this, would this be dried or is this fresh kelp going in that? No, it's fresh kelp. Really? That's amazing. That's kind of fun. There's some, there's some, um, Kelp farming is starting to, you know, I don't know, takeoff might be a little bit uh, misleading. It's not a big thing here, but there are some kelp farmers that are, you know, trying to work on that uh, mariculture and um, and develop that market. Um, and so they're excited to have people try to use it in different things. There's somebody making a kelp salsa, there's, you know, kelp pickles, stuff oh, like wow. that. Uh, but I I think a lot of kelp is used as a, a miter ingredient in in um, different kinds of food and feed production. Yes, yeah, can you, absolutely. Can you taste the kelp in in the, in the beer? In the goza? In the goza, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, you can certainly taste the salinity, as right. he was saying. Right. Um, and then uh, whether or not you would say, I, I mean, I think it does add a a depth like a brininess That's to the awesome. goza. That's mm-hmm. awesome. But the salinity is mostly what you notice. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, uh, uh, <clears throat> I, I'm sure that somebody with a really sophisticated palate would notice it. <laughs> right. There's a lot. <laughs> right, right, right. Most people awesome. just stop at salt. You know? yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so kind of like last leading in here, most brewery owners would tell you that owning a brewery is not going to make you rich unless you grow so big that obviously you get inquired by a corporation, which I don't think they're really doing that much anymore. So there must be another reason. No, that, they're selling them back, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes, they are. Absolutely. So, I mean, there must be another reason that people like you and I do this. Can you describe the feeling like on a Friday night in Kodiak when people from the community are hanging out in your tap room, drinking the fruits of your labor and having great conversation and telling you how much they enjoy your beer and spirits? You know, there's it's great. 
right? Yep. I mean, it's really it's really fun um, uh, to to bring something to your community that people enjoy. Um, I say that brewing is not a good way to make money, right? In that it's not an easy way to make a lot of money, right? But it is a good way to make money in that it's a fun industry to make a living in. Yes. Most of the money that comes to the counter in the brewery goes out the back door because, you know, thousands of dollars a month on utilities, payroll, overhead. It's it's much simpler to have a bar uh, and just buy, you know, alcohol and then resell it at a higher price. Yes. And you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have a steam boiler and uh, and a whole brew crew and... A canner and, and everything else, you know, yeah. A thousand square foot uh, cooler, or um, all, you know, all these things. You know, a uh, hundred thousand dollars worth of stainless steel. Uh, yep. You know, it's not an easy way to make a living, but it is. Um, you know what people say about uh, being in the brewing industry? It's ninety five percent asshole free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> there's always there's always beer at the end of the day. Yep. Um, if you can wait that long and um, it's it's just it's fun thing to be involved in. It's hard, but it's also interesting. You know, you're yep. always you're always dealing with different aspects of the business and yep. there's a lot of moving parts. So. Absolutely. I, w- I would agree 100 percent with everything you said. And I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to join us today. And it's been an awesome conversation. And now uh Gonna, yeah. Merry Christmas. Thanks yes, for being happy part holidays. of our Kodiak. And I'm going to somehow have to figure yeah, out how like, we can get some of, the, like say, some of those beers. Uh, pardon me? I'm going to figure out how to get my hands on some of those beers. Yeah, yeah. Keep in touch. With, uh, well, I'm hoping that uh, as of January 1st, the law is supposed to change and we're supposed to be able to ship Ooh. alcohol. But I think it's only going to be, to begin with, uh, FedEx and UPS. And that, that's kind of prohibitive. Right. from Kodiak. So that may not help us at all, but we're we're trying to lobby uh nationally for the US Postal Service to lift lift the ban on alcohol right. and that would make it a little bit more if we could ship a flat rate box with a couple crawlers in it or something it would make it a little bit more accessible. Absolutely. Um, so I'm hoping hoping to pull that off. Well, I hope that works out for you guys. That'd be awesome. I mean, now then I'll be wishing that we could start shipping cuz we can't ship either. So, yeah, well, yeah, uh, talk to your uh, Brewers Guild. Absolutely. You start lobbying, yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been an awesome conversation, and happy holidays to you. Yeah, hoppy. Hoppy holidays. holidays. You're hoppy absolutely holidays. right. Thanks, hoppy man. holidays. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guests own and operate Dorman Tree Farm, the only Christmas tree farm in Alaska. Fulfilling his father's, her father-in-law's vision to grow Christmas trees on the family cattle ranch in Kodiak, our next guests have applied their talents, hard work, and passion to allow the business to grow and thrive. They're here to remind us that someone actually grew the trees that we decorate this time of year, that they put hard work, pride, and a little love into what will become the focal points of our Christmas celebrations and family memories. Welcome <laughs> to the Beer Hour, Todd and Celeste Dorman. Thank you very much for joining us today. I know it is uh, early in the morning for you guys over there, but uh, we really appreciate you guys coming on today. Sure. Thanks for having us. So, Todd, I actually read that like your dad was a, a, a cattle rancher, but he had a vision to grow a crop that wasn't found in Kodiak. What was his original vision? Well, I I think he just... When we first moved here, you know, of course he we were he did buy a cattle ranch here in Kodiak. That's what we moved here for. Right. Uh, but he was a farmer in Oregon. Okay. And he had he had friends that had tree farms down in Oregon before we had moved here, and uh, so he just thought that Kodiak was a good would be a good place to grow trees. And of course, you know, they're the only way to get them here is to ship them here. So it would, you know, he cut out all that. Of course. Um, he thought it'd be a good place to grow trees. I, I mean, it, it, and in, in most ways, I think he was right, you know, but the growing season's a little short here, but so it takes a little longer for the trees, but, but they grow here. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, but why do you, why do you think there are so few 
Christmas tree farms in Alaska itself, though? Because it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying Alaskans are lazy? No, <laughs> no. no, no, it's tough. Easier ways to make some money, but yeah. uh, um, <laughs> also large parts of Alaska are probably too cold for, you know, I mean, they not enough sunlight. Yeah, I don't right. think it would work out too well if you went up much further north than we are. Um, but but the, there's also some large areas that would still, you know, like all southeast and everything right. would be a good, well, there could be one there, there just isn't. Well, so right, yeah, because I know, like towards as you get out of the, out of the southern part, like I mean, a lot of it is tundra. So, like the the growth possibilities for trees is really not there just because of permafrost and everything underneath the soil. So right. it's not it's not a great habitat for for Christmas tree, pine trees, spruce, etc. So um, yeah, so I mean, obviously, where you so the land where you guys are situated, obviously between two rivers, is actually probably pretty fertile and, and good grounds for that. I would imagine. Um, yeah, it's. I don't. It. I don't know how if it's really that great for fertility. I mean, it takes a long time to grow the trees, and that's partly because it's not super fertile. Ah. But it has real. Where we're at has real good drainage, and that's a big, a yes, big part of right, it too. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's rain, all so. just kind of a gravel bed down there, uh, three four feet down, and it just drains real quick. You know? Nice. Nice. So how how did you and your father go about starting the tree farm in 2006? Um, well, it was, there were, we didn't do a whole lot of planning. I know that we just uh, um, we had been talking about it for a year. My dad had been talking about it for years, and I finally, you know, just we got to the point where uh, we had this little farm out the road, and we had been raising uh, pigs there for about. 15 years and we had recently had gotten rid of all of our pigs we no longer raise those and so we had the ground and i just said well you know maybe we ought to try those trees again uh dad we had tried uh to grow some back when i was in high school it didn't work out too well then either but um so we just kind of cleared a little plot of land and he got on the phone and started figuring out where to order trees from and um, he knew quite a bit about the different kinds of trees so we just ordered them up and planted them out there. Nice. Can I, uh, this was kind of a debate when we were talking about bringing you guys on the show. What varieties of evergreen do you guys actually grow there? Well, we have about 30 different kinds really? of oh. spruce, pine, and fir. Really? So, yeah, like 10 different kinds of spruce, um, four or five different kinds of fir, and we had about 10 different kinds of uh of pine and and a few other trees that really probably aren't really Christmas trees, just uh, but they're pretty. Yeah, large. <laughs> okay. And, you know, All right. Other things that we just would see in the magazine when we were ordering trees that we thought would be kind of cool to try. Those, are, but those are are there native evergreen trees where you are in Kodiak? No. Yes. There are. And yeah, are those, do those is. make for good Christmas trees or or, or no? No. No. Oh, okay. So you had to bring no. them all, bring all these varieties in over the years. Right. Yeah. yeah. The native trees that we have here, they, they're pretty. They look, I mean, they have the right shape and they, they're definitely nice looking Christmas trees, but they don't hold up. You bring them into your house and they just, and they don't like warm. Yeah. The needles just kind of fall off of them. Right. Immediately. Yeah. You're going to be, you're you're, Brown Christmas. You're gonna be <laughs> sweeping up underneath your tree, yeah. like immediately. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, People still use them. I mean, a lot of people still go cut them down and bring them in and just say, what the heck, you know. And the needles are really pokey. They're really, oh. I mean, are they? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they're like, kind of lethal. They make you bleed. Oh, man. I mean, yeah. out of the varieties that you have, what do you think are your top varieties of Christmas trees that you grow? Uh, Fraser fir. Really? Fraser's? I've had that. Fraser yeah. fir. Really? They do really good. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. And then, yeah, because... I think. I mean, down here, I think we get like from what we get, we we get trees out of Michigan and North Carolina, I believe. And I think most of them are like Douglas firs and like blue spruce. Um, and there's a is there's a few pines, uh, but really, like I tend to gravitate more towards like the firs and the spruce because I think they give a more fuller approach and just I don't know they right. they smell better. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you mind like describing to us like 
just the growing process of a Christmas tree, like from like start to jump in case people don't really understand how this all works. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's slow. <laughs> That's the process. It takes forever. Um, we usually start with a little tree. It's either like a year old in a little plug form. So it's got a little, they grow it in a little, a little tube. So it has a little bit of dirt in there with it. The tree's about an inch tall and it, you know, it just for the first year, it probably only grows an inch or two, you know, maybe three, four, but um, they don't grow very much to begin with. Then the second year, you know, you might get uh, six inches to a foot or so, and it just goes on like that. And it usually takes about, for us, it takes about 10 years. Really? To, from that, you know, and, and the 10 year tree isn't really a huge grand thing either. You know, it's, it's kind of just run of the mill, you know, seven foot or so, um, to get a really, you know, nice full tree, it actually takes more like 11 or 12 years. Wow. So, so really like the trees you're looking for, I mean, that probably hit home with everybody. The best would be those 11 to 12 year old trees then. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really looking at, I mean, it's a long investment, obviously it's a long (laughs) process to, to get to what you're really looking for. I mean, I don't think a lot of people, uh, you know, understand that like as far as like tree growing goes, I mean, you know, I'm sure, especially people down here, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you plant a tree, it's not like an immediate, you're not having something in two to three years. I mean, it, I mean, it kind of rolls over for like fruit trees as well, but mm-hmm. like any kind of tree growth, it, it, it's a long, time arduous money. Yeah, yeah. like process. Time. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that and, you know, you also have to take care of them because uh, we got to cut the grass in between the rows. We got to shape them. We got to decone them sometimes. We got to. There's a lot to it, not just throwing on the ground and wait for them to grow. There's a lot in between. So when you when you decone them, is that is that almost like I would say like I'm in the fruit tree process? Like you're taking the fruit to actually give more, so the tree puts more energy into growing than putting off cones. Is oh, that the idea? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Actually, it's the Fraser fir that um, get. they get a lot of cones when they're really young. After about six or seven years old, they start getting cones. Most of the other trees really don't, we don't have to decone them all. You know, they don't hardly get any cones, but right. the Fraser, the Fraser firs get a lot and, and they get so many that it'll actually just kind of block out the sun in the, in the upper portion of the tree. And then they don't really look yeah. very good if you don't get rid of them. Wow. I think the last time I, I counted like over 200 cones in a little tree that we have to. Holy smokes. Each <laughs> one of them. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot. Oh my God. That's a lot. I tell you, it's a lot of work. Is there a machine to do that? Or? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's cool time to listen. Yes, yes. He's right here. <laughs> I mean, so you, you started the farm in 2006, and actually, from what I had read, like you and your dad actually sold your first Christmas tree in 2012. What was that, what was that feeling like when you guys actually kicked that process off in t- 2012 and sold that first tree? Oh, it was, it was kind of a mixed <laughs> feelings, you know? Yeah, I really, I really liked the, the trees. We didn't sell very many of them. It was just a few. Um, but no, it was good. I mean, we were, we were glad to do it, but I really was kind of like feeling a little, a little Stomping. guilty just cutting this tree off after I'd spent all this time, you know, trying right. to get it to look, look so good. <laughs> <laughs> It's like empty nest syndrome with yes. sending your kids yeah. to college. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, like, man. like any farming or ranching, you know, eventually you gotta get rid of them. Yeah, you gotta get rid of them. You know, you can't yeah. keep everything forever. Yeah. But yeah. you do. You do become attached. I, I do know that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, we we've had quite a few farmers actually on on the beer hour, and it seems that there are always things that can take out a year's harvest, whether it be insects, weathers. D- disease like what are some of the natural enemies to your trees out there the well we have a lot of different little you know like bugs and blights and different things that yeah yeah, just you name it i mean everything that that christmas trees can get i think that we have a little bit of but i think probably the biggest thing is winter kill or winter damage really Early frost, early frost, frost, um, late frost and just winter, you know, blazing cold winds, you know, that just kind of 
um, burn the sides of the trees off, you know, and get them. Yeah. They make them look pretty crummy. It might not kill them, but it really sets them back. It takes them years to bounce back sometimes. How do you guys defend against that? Like, because I know, like, down here in Florida, for us, for, like, orange, you know, orange farmers, like, if a really harsh, well, what they call harsh winter sets in, you know what I mean? And it, like, drops too fast too soon, it ruins your crop. So they will go out there with actual, like, heaters heaters and fans to keep the crop and trees, like, warm so it doesn't, you know, ruin all the product. Yeah, well, we have a, we got a big high tunnel, you know, kind of a, kind of a greenhouse type. I don't know if you're familiar with the term yes. high tunnel, but yeah. um, we have a, we have a large high tunnel and we, we try to plant the little trees in the high tunnel for a okay. couple years too, before we move them out into the field. And it's really actually takes a lot of time, but they, yeah. we, more of them survive that way, you know? Oh, nice. 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 We don't we don't do any of the smudge pots or or irrigating or right. any of that stuff during. I mean, if it's if it if the winter's going to kill the tree, it's just going to kill it. I mean, there's right. just there's nothing we can do. So obviously, we were talking earlier <clears throat> about like the eleven and twelve year old trees that you guys tend to like to sell more of. Do you guys have a record of like what the tallest tree you guys actually have sold? Um. We, we, we don't really have a record, but uh, it's probably about fourteen feet. Nice. At the so far, you know. Right. I mean, there, there's going to be bigger ones, but and and so to far. and to hit that fourteen footer, how how old is that tree by then? You think? Oh, fifteen to eighteen years old. Wow. I mean, some of them are the one the 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 trees the that we actually planted that first oh, year. Wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. So you, but you do have some that you're letting grow taller and taller. Then, well, no, I don't really. I mean, there, it's just kind of luck of the draw, you know. Whatever's left, usually it's the straggler trees that are left, and then they <laughs> get the full sun, and then they start to grow better, and um, they just get looking really good later on. They end up being the best trees, you know, but right. they're much bigger. Mm-hmm. So people just kind of come out, they they uh, select the tree they want. And then they cut it down, right? That's how that's how it works. But yeah. yeah, they walk around, look yeah. at all the trees, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and none of the tre- got a bunch none of the trees are really off limits, right? You you never say to them, "Well, you can't have that one." Or, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, actually, sometimes I gave do, that one a name. People, you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> some people want like little trees, some you know, a little three, four footer, and oh, yeah, right, well, right. we, we right. tell them, we tell them no, or. You know, sometimes they just say, well, how much does, does it take, you know, to get this tree? And then we just say, well, you know, if you want to pay the same price as a big one, go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, All right. All right. The, so how many, like, what would you say? How many, I mean, obviously you guys have a record, but like on, on your acreage, how many trees do you guys approximately have every year that you, you get let cut, I would say? Um. Well, we probably have, you know, 500 of them or so that we would let cut. Yeah. And then you're replanting 500? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> try Well, we've missed a few years, but yeah, we try to replant that many. Last summer we did. Really? We did 500. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, how, it's a lot of work. How many, how many trees total do you think you have on property? Oh, now, I mean, it's less now than what we, at one point we probably had about 4,500. Okay. Now I think we're probably more down around three or 3,500 or something like that. Wow. Okay. So what you sell each year is still a relatively small fraction of the total number of trees you have. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, because I'm sure like within the cycle, right? Because you cut, plant, and you've had to do that over the years. So you still have to stagger that. Yeah. Because you still want the trees to be of the right height. Right. So some of that, right. you know, you got to stagger that it process. Takes ten, it takes 10 years. And right. I guess not every tree is aesthetically pleasing to people, right? No. <laughs> the aesthetics are probably no. just as important as the height. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know, like, Rocco brought this up, but it seems like the holy grail for, like, Christmas tree farmers would be to have one of their trees selected for Rockefeller Center in the middle of New York <laughs> City. You know what I mean? But... Would that be something cool to have one of your trees chosen for if that possibility arose? I mean, maybe we can start like a grassroots campaign next year for having Alaskan trees selected for, you know, Rockefeller. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah, that would be cool. I don't, 
those trees are pretty huge. I mean, it, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to make it that long, but. And then who's going to come and get it? Right, right. <laughs> oh, I think the shipping. I, the shipping. I, I think they come and get it. There was one from uh, Montana last year, was it, or something? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, they it's, a, whole, it, it's a whole right? process. They truck it. Oh, yeah, yeah, they come get it. They oh, truck yeah. it. I don't know if they pay the farmer yeah. or not. I would assume so. The, um, and then, But I think those trees are like 50 footers. Yeah, yeah they're pretty they huge. Yeah. huge. I, think, I think we'd be better off trying to you know shoot for the White House or something. There you go. There you go. I like that idea. I like that idea. We'll get something going here get people excited. <laughs> uh, hey, they need a Fraser fir inside the White House next year. I think we need to do it. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, obviously, as we've talked, I mean, growing trees, I mean, sounds like and is a lot of hard work. But I mean, it it must be gratifying to know that your trees are playing a role in people's Christmas memories. Oh, yeah. I mean, do do people send you photos after they take their trees home and decorate them at all? Yeah. Oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, really? We have, uh, we have several people that have been coming to us every year. And, you know, as they come together, tree, I get pictures of them and the kids and um, the kids recognize me as the chocolate, the hot cocoa lady. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. You know, we see the kids go every year and, and they love coming uh, for the hot cocoa, of course, for the Christmas tree tradition that they have. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I guess, nice. I guess the question I missed, uh, do you guys ship trees or no? Or is this a like pick and pick and cut on site for the local area? Yeah. So far. We, we, we've never, we, really shipped any trees off the island um, we did have one lady from alaska airlines fly in she she was a pilot she went over uh to the christmas tree farm with todd uh-huh. cut one and took it with her in the plane really oh my so god she shipped it. yeah oh that's crazy really <laughs> yeah it's very cool she yeah. came in and she flew in she was, she a, was a pilot for alaska Airlines. that's she awesome didn't get in until about seven at night so yeah. i picked her up took Watch her out light. there it was snowing and blowing and raining all at the same time and we went out picked out a tree and she was she knew what she was getting into she was dressed for the occasion yeah. and everything so wow so yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a commitment to Christmas, right? Well, now. right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure they have. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a commitment to Christmas. Yeah. I mean, um, they did you guys have to like bind the tree and like stack it so like it would be a better shipment? Yeah, yeah. yeah I have a a, baler. a little a baler. baler that I yeah. just pull the trees through, and then for her, we kind of even took some twine around it it's after it was baled and even tightened it up a little more so it'd be a that's better a great, package. That's a great so. story. Did it, I'm sure it survived the trip pretty well then. Did she send you a picture? <laughs> yeah, she did. She did. That's awesome. How far did it go? Did it go just back to like Maine, Alaska? Or? I, I think it went to Palmer is where she lives. Oh, uh, okay. A uh, little bit north of uh, Anchorage. Anchorage. Anchorage, yeah. That's awesome. And it's only about 45, 50-minute uh, flight from Kodiak to Anchorage. All right. Yeah. Rocco, you, you, you need an eight-hour flight from Miami to Anchorage <laughs> and then the 45-minute flight out to Kodiak, and then you bring your Christmas tree uh, back next I year would, with your family. I would love to. That would, would be amazing. Visit. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. W- when we lived uh, in the Northeast, we used to go to the tree farm and cut the tree down. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just an awesome That's feeling, oh, right? I mean, because it, You're it, right, the hot chocolate, a cup of right. coffee, it's like really cool. I mean, because yeah. yeah. it, it's definitely it's a, a, a vacant process down here because... We they're go just, to the side uh, of Biscayne Boulevard every right, street from Kevin, our, our main, guy our main, Kevin like, Burns or whatever. Yes, right. The former politician uh, you know, has his trees brought in from Carolina and Michigan, and you yeah. go into this giant circus tent yeah. Yeah. and pick through all these banded trees right. and hope you get the one. And, way different. Know. Way different. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. the bigger question is at this point, and um, from what, what I've seen, obviously, buying Christmas trees for my family is that the cost has gone up exorbitantly. Yeah, like, um, Yeah, I mean, last year I was like, holy smokes, because I buy one for the brewery here to put on display because obviously we keep that Christmas feeling going. We want that for the customers coming in, but obviously one for the house, and it's like we've done one every year, and last year it was like, wow, I don't know if I can do one for the, for the brewery just because yeah, of cost. Yeah, how much are they? It was, oh, my I gosh. Bought a, I bought a Douglas fir on Saturday. for It was seven foot, and it was $149. Where'd you go? Wow. Where'd you go? Across from Kevin <laughs> Burns, there's like a there's just like a random place that we've been going every year. Oh, then prices yeah. must have come down because yeah. last year, I think a seven footer for the house. I mean, they were they wanted like six six seven hundred dollars. Get out! Really? No, I'm serious. Oh well, that, I'm dead I don't serious. Know what kind of tree that is? Really? Oh yeah. Seriously, yeah. 
Wow. Oh yeah, right. and the place across from Burns yeah. was like, oh yeah, well, yeah. nine hundred dollars. I'm like, oh my god, you guys are crazy. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> you know, was that flock with gold? Or something? Or I, yeah, I don't, I don't exactly, know, but yeah. it was, yeah. you know, it, obviously we've seen the prices yeah. go up, but it was interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. what does a eleven or twelve year old tree run somebody out there to buy from you guys? Um, if it's you know like really nice fir tree. It's about 150 bucks. Um, so you got to yeah. fly out there, yeah, man. Yeah, that, yeah, hey, yeah. It, same amount of price that you just paid across yeah. the street on Biscay, and you got to yeah. go to Alaska. I'll go have a beer at the Kodiak Brewing Company and uh, exactly. get my tree. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Head back home. Well, I got one last question for you guys. Mm-hmm. What's the feeling like early in the morning when the sun comes up and you look out over your trees? I mean, as a farmer, like, what's that like for you every morning? Because obviously, we I look out my front front door and i see buildings and it's like okay this is uh not very exciting you know uh well i personally i like looking i mean we don't actually live on the farm okay. so we don't up and look yeah. over the trees every day but, they're really pretty but i'd like to yeah, yeah. it's beautiful I mean, yeah but i just like looking at the trees in general i mean i go out with people when they're picking their trees and they're like hey can you show me something and i'm like well yeah you know i'd Love to, you. you know. <laughs> Let me show you something. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's it, awesome. It never gets old for yeah. me. They're actually really pretty. Uh, we're taking pictures of them with snow and without the snow, and they're just pretty amazing looking. Rocco, you got to get some of these pictures. What? Man, what? Um, and what kind of tree do we are we rocking at the Dorman household this year? <laughs> well, so we're far, <laughs> don't tell me you don't have a tree. Feel a little guilty here. Yeah, so far we, we haven't have put one up yet. Okay. But All we right. have it, though. We, we have it. I'm we have one that. already cut. All right, it's cool. Just, it's our display tree at our shop where we sell them. What variety? So what variety is it? It's a blue spruce. Ooh, blue spruce. I, lo- okay, I, nice. I love yeah. I love, I love Bruce. How, blue spruce. How, That's how tall? Yeah. It's 11 feet tall. Ooh. Oh, that must be nice. I yeah. love blue spruce. Yeah. That's probably my favorite yeah. type of tree. They're beautiful. Oh, They're yeah. just beautiful trees. Yeah. And, and the smell is they have those here? amazing. No, they don't no. grow here. Oh, they, I mean, they no, I ship mean, them in. They yes. Ship them in yet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I, they didn't grow here. I know. I had I had three of them that was right next to my house when I lived in Washington State. Really? So yeah. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful trees. Yeah. So, thank you very much for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation. Put us and in the Christmas spirit. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And Rocco's yeah. going yeah. to plan that trip now yeah. to go out and see you <laughs> for guys. Next year, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, come up. We'll take you fishing and hunting. Oh, right. Amazing. Hey, yeah. you get to see the the grizzlies too. Very cool. Yeah. That'd be oh, yeah. Yeah. That's Don't not forget. a big selling point for me, Christmas. <laughs> well, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you guys. And thank you again for Merry coming Christmas. on the show. Merry Christmas, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, that's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Ben Milstein, Todd and Celeste Dorman, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for starting your weekend with us. You can catch us each Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real. <laughs>